Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investor podcast. My name's Frank Flake. I'm your host of the podcast, and today I will be performing a monologue for you. I typically will interview someone on this podcast or will have someone interview me. But in this episode, I have decided to do an in-depth, deep dive, full of content episode on 10 out of 10 sales in your property business. And by that, I mean being able to sell your services as effectively as possible to the people that you want to do business with. You might be thinking to yourself, hang on a second, Frank, I want to buy property why do I have to learn sales? And that's a really good question. We've covered it before on the podcast. I'm not going to spend ages on it. But if you are buying property traditionally, then absolutely, you are spot on. You are buying property. If you go to an auction and bid, you can be the worst communicator in the world. As long as you can hold your paddle up, you're going to get the deal. You can talk rubbish you can not know anything about what's in it for me salesmanship I'll come on to that in a little while you can not care about the vendor situation you can be rubbish at negotiating it doesn't matter you're going to buy the property because you're buying it traditionally through an auction same as on right move you you know email the agent with your offer you send them proof of funds you're going to get the house they don't care if you're the biggest recluse in the world or the most arrogant purchaser in the world they'll sell you the property but those traditional methods of buying property rely on the vendor and the purchaser having very little interaction with one another if any at all and you know most people say that buying a house is one of the most stressful things in your whole life you know why that is it's because there's no relationship between the vendor and the purchaser I don't find my property transactions stressful especially the majority of them are quite relaxed it's the fact that I've got relationships with my vendors that I can talk to them that we can iron stuff out we can explain what's going on that reduces that tension reduces that friction so if you are a traditional investor skip on don't listen to this episode it really doesn't matter but if you are a sophisticated property investor or an aspiring sophisticated property investor then you do then you need to know how to communicate effectively with the people that you're trying to sell to so let's run through who you might be trying to sell to in your property business so first off obviously it's vendors so what are you selling to a vendor if you're buying their property where you're selling a solution to their property problem. You're selling a service to them that gets them out of the situation that they currently find themselves in that they don't like. So if they are in mortgage arrears, you are solving their mortgage arrears problem. You are helping them to pay off their mortgage so they are no longer chased by the mortgage lender. If they are emigrating and they're stressed about leaving an empty property, you're solving the empty property problem by buying the property from them, etc., etc. So with vendors, you're selling a service. You're selling a property problem solution. With an investor, so for example, a finance investor, you are selling a service. 
they have money that is not earning them enough interest. And we talked about this this week, actually. So we had a monthly training day for all of the EPP partners this week. And we were talking about interest rates going up. And I think either someone said that they'd read in the news or they'd heard someone else say that, well, interest rates are going up so high, savers are getting a great return on their money. And I laughed because savers aren't getting a great return on their money. Yes, inflation's going up by 10% per year, but the Bank of England base rate has just gone up to 1%. So if Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who are living off their savings in their retirement, have a few hundred thousand pounds in the bank, they are earning 1% on that money per year. But in real terms, that money is shrinking by 10% a year. So in real terms, that £100,000 will only buy them £90,000 worth of goods next year, this time next year, and they will only have earned £1,000 worth of interest. So net, they've lost £9,000, they've lost 9%. So what will you sell to a finance investor? Well, you're selling an opportunity to them to earn a much higher rate of interest probably with more security if you give them a first charge on their on a property then that's more secure than putting their money in the bank probably especially if they're investing more than £85,000 with you because the insurance that the banks buy into only covers up to £85,000 it's some long acronym beginning with F I can't remember what it is but I know that it stops at 85k what about if it's a full market value investor to someone who's interested in buying property. Well, their motivation and their problem is very similar to the finance investor. They have money that's not earning them a great return. Now you can supply them with a property that solves that problem. So the first instance, a finance investor, you are supplying them with basically an opportunity to lend you money. And with a full market value investor, what you're actually doing is supplying them with a property that solves the same problem. But in this instance, instead of a rate of return and interest rate, they'll receive a return on investment from the cash flow of the property from the rent. And they'll receive over time a capital appreciation on their on their money. So those are the three main areas that you'll be selling in, in your sophisticated property investing business, but there are others, and I won't go through all of them, but basically, any time you have someone in your business that you want to do something that they would rather not do, or would do less quickly, or would do less well, that's selling. So if you're talking to a tenant, and you want the tenant to perhaps book their own plumber, because you're struggling to get a plumber and you're busy and they're saying, oh, please, can you get a plumber out quickly? And you say, look, I've phoned my three plumbers and they can't come out today. And then it's a bank holiday weekend. You're then selling the idea of them phoning a plumber or phoning 10 or 20 plumbers to get one out before bank holiday weekend to them. And if you say it in a poor way, if you do a poor job of selling that idea to them, they're going to say no. If you do a really good job, they're going to be grateful and say yes. And so you'll be selling in many areas of your business. And I know this because sometimes I ask my PA and you've met Sophia on the podcast. She was on a, a few weeks ago when I was in Belgrade. 
she is not good at selling. She would say it herself. If I have a task for her where she has to speak to someone and use some form of persuasion, she's not very good at it. We generally don't get a very good outcome. And and so I know that and she knows that. And so if there's a persuasive conversation to be had, typically I'll do it because I'll get a better outcome. And that can be talking to a solicitor and asking them to do it. In fact, this happened last week. So I was a purchaser of a property. I really wanted to complete that day. Everything was in place. I had finance in place. I had um, contracts signed, vendor signed, we'd signed Um, but I had signed the contracts that morning, scanned them and emailed them to the solicitor. And the solicitor said, unfortunately, Frank, we can't complete the purchase until we have wet copies, wet signed copies. So the hard copies of those contracts and TR1, etc. in our possession. And I said, well, that's really disappointing because I've special delivered them to you this morning and they're not going to be with you until tomorrow, but I'd like to complete today. There were specific reasons why I wanted to complete that day rather than the next day. And they said, well, unfortunately, it's not our policy to complete on scanned documents. And I said, "Okay, how can we possibly complete today? And you could hear the cogs turning because instead of saying, can we complete today? I was asking, how do we go about completing today? And it's a different question. It fires up a different part of the brain. And the solicitor came up with two solutions. The first one was, if you show me proof of purchase, well, of course, I had my special delivery receipt with the tracking number. And of course, the receipt, because I use that for my tax um, to reclaim the, the tax on the, the postage. So I said, yeah, I can take a photo of that and pop it across to you. She said, or, or the alternative, and she wasn't that keen on completing with scanned copies, even though she knew the originals were on their way to, to her office. She said, alternatively, because it's a company purchase, and I had actually forgotten this, but this I'd done this in the past. She said, actually, I can sign all those documents on your behalf as your agent. So when it's a personal purchase, the solicitor can't do that. But when it's a company, you can just give them permission to sign the contract, TR1, etc. on your behalf. It doesn't work if you're getting a mortgage because only the company director, I believe, can sign the mortgage deed. And the personal guarantee needs to be signed by the individual who's providing the personal guarantee. The solicitor can't sign those personal documents. But in this instance, there was no mortgage. It was a cash purchase. And so she actually signed all the documents herself and exchanged contracts with the solicitor and and, and completed. And that's an example of using sales, using world-class sales questions in order to get a desired outcome. So let me talk through some of my notes. Now, if I sound a bit salivary, then forgive me. (laughs) It's because just before I started this podcast, I ate a little square of 85% cocoa chocolate. Now, I ate rather too much chocolate, well, rather too much of my son's chocolate over 
Easter and I've decided to wean myself off chocolate I've got a bit of a sweet tooth so I've started eating 85% um, cocoa chocolate and oh my goodness it's so bitter and um, so I foolishly had a, a, a lump of that before I came on air and um, it's still like sucking the saliva out of my mouth so apologies for that if you're thinking Frank sounds like he's slow in his words it's not because I've had a few drinks I promise you <laughs> I'm stone cold sober it's because I've been eating chocolate that's too strong for me but I tell you what the the health gurus that say yeah yeah have a few squares of 85% chocolate it's like I know why you're saying that it's because it will put you off eating anymore it's not like chocolate it's like um what's it like it's like sucking I don't know something that's very dry a corn on the cob with no butter on it that's when it's uh, an overbaked corn on the cob that's what it's like sucking anyway I digress right let me I've got a lot of notes actually I've got a lot of um, content to share with you so why did I call it 10 out of 10 sales well the reason I called it 10 out of 10 is because there are seven words you want to start your questions with and there are three words that you want to avoid so let me give you the three words that you want to avoid and if you catch yourself in a sales environment using any of these words you are going to fail in that sale more than likely not definitely but you're massively increasing the chances of failure so the first word you want to avoid three words to avoid would so if you start a question with would you're almost certainly asking a poor sales question would you like to invest with me would is a word you want to avoid i'm going to come back to why in a moment second word you want to avoid and now some people go would you like to invest with me oh i'm i'm using you i'm talking about them that's with them what's in it for me so you always want to be thinking what's in it for me as in what's in it for your prospect how are you what value are you giving to them what benefits are they going to get from what you've just said how are you highlighting what's in it for them so would you you might think oh that's a great question it's not because it starts with would second word you want to avoid three words to avoid would second one is do do you want to go ahead do you want to sell your house to me do is a word you want to avoid and thirdly could could i buy your house for a hundred thousand pounds could i possibly do a refurb on your property before I've exchanged contracts on it. Would, do and could are all poor questions to ask in a sales conversation because they do one thing. They bring no into play. Now, some of this I've made up myself and a lot of this episode actually comes directly from Matt Elwell's Elite Closing Academy in conjunction with Nick James who we've had on the podcast we've actually not had Matt Elwell on the podcast I'll um I'll invite him on actually I think he'd be a great guy to uh, to have on a lot of this content comes straight out of his book and in fact you can look up his um book it's called open with a close if you google open with a close elite closing academy it will pop up I think it's like 10 quid and I can thoroughly recommend it because he talks a lot about this stuff and he goes into a lot more of the psychology and what part so the brain are triggered etc I'm kind of giving you the highlights in this episode so avoid would do and could do not start your questions with would you do you could I etc 
oh, and I've got a few examples there. So rather than would you like to invest with me, you could ask what type of a return would delight you? And now they're going to be saying, oh, what kind of a return? 8% would delight me or capital growth as well as cash flow. Do you want to go ahead? When would you like to get started? World-class question versus rubbish question. Could I buy your house for 100K? How will it feel when you're mortgage-free and living in Spain? Now, I've used a bit of artistic license there. I've assumed that the vendor is stressed about their mortgage. They want to be mortgage-free and they want to move to Spain. But you get the idea. The three rubbish questions, would you, do you, could I, all bring no into play. So would you like to invest with me? The answer is going to be yes or no. Do you want to go ahead? No. Could I buy your house for 100k? No. I want 110. As soon as you bring no into play, you're damaging your sale. You're highly likely to fail. The other thing that it does in asking those closed rubbish questions is it prohibits your prospect from talking. So when you ask a closed question, you're going to get a one word answer generally. But if you only get a one word answer, you're not letting them expand. You're not encouraging them to talk. And people need to like you before they will buy from you. No like trust. They need to know you, they need to like you, and then they need to trust you before they'll buy from you. And they actually did an experiment a few uh, years ago. I read this in a, in a book. It's fascinating. So what they did is they took actors and they put them onto planes deliberately and sat them next to people. Now, they did it twice. And the first time, all the actors, they spread them around the aeroplane, just a short, yeah, short whole flight, like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And the first time they said, all we want you to do is give the bare minimum of information about yourself, like just enough to not be weird, but we don't want you telling any stories, we don't want you sharing anything that isn't you know, explicitly asked for. All we want you to do is ask questions. Just be super, super curious about the person that sat next to you. Get them talking, basically. And they did that for the whole flight. And when the people got off the flight, not the actors, but when the, the, the regular people that didn't know they were part of a study got off the flight, they were asked a bunch of questions. They were like given a, an ad hoc questionnaire as they went through like the arrivals hall. One of the questions in the questionnaire was, how interesting was the person who you sat next to on the flight? And so they then filled it in and said, you know, I found the person interesting or not interesting, etc. Then they redid it. Same actors. Obviously, the passengers were different, but the same actors. And this time, the actors were given a back story. So this time, they were made into really interesting people. So they'd done amazing things. It had a really colorful background. And they told stories, and they were really interesting. And when those passengers got off, having chatted to the really interesting actors, they scored the interesting actors far lower in terms of how interesting they were than the ones that hadn't said anything about them at all. Now, isn't that interesting? 
The people that just asked questions and gave loads of airtime to the prospect or to the passenger, the passengers felt so listened to, they felt so important, they felt so loved, they felt so um, interesting that they felt really warm and fluffy towards the actors. They felt very liked by them and therefore they ranked them as really interesting people. Isn't that fascinating, even though they said nothing about themselves? And so the problem with asking rubbish questions, so closed questions, is you don't give your prospect enough opportunity to talk. And if they're not talking, they're not feeling loved, they're not feeling important, which means they're not going to like you. And if they don't like you, they're not going to trust you and they're not going to buy from you. So it's really important to ask open-ended questions so that your prospect can talk And if they're talking, they feel important, they're going to associate that feeling of positivity with you and they're going to want to buy from you. So let me give you some open-ended questions. So we've done the three things you mustn't start your questions with. Would, do, could. Would you, do, you, could I. Now let's do the seven starting words of questions that are going to elicit positive responses and get your prospect talking to you. So the first one is what. So if you start a question with what, you're already asking an open-ended question. What do you understand about how I help people? That is a world-class question for anyone that you're planning to do business with. If they're an investor, what do you understand about how our system works how do you think our system works what has fred told you about how i help people in your situation straight away they're going to give you loads of information so if they're talking they're feeling positive about you you're building rapport with them but also if they're talking they're telling you what's important to them And if they tell you what's important to them, when you then continue with the sales conversation, you can frame your service in terms of what's in it for them, in terms of what's important to them. The number of times I see people try and sell stuff based on what's important to them rather than their prospect is unbelievable. So let's take an example of a family buying their second car right they've got two so the dad's got a bit stereotypical but dad's got a smart sports car convertible you know drives that to work drives it to the golf course on a weekend but they they need an suv sports utility vehicle that they can throw the dogs in at the the weekend that's big enough for all the luggage on the holiday that can have a roof rack so they can put the bikes on the roof that they can fit a couple extra friends in when they're running to the football match on a Sunday afternoon. And the wife, who has no interest in cars whatsoever, other than the fact she likes being quite high up because she can see the road really well and she likes to feel safe, so she wants a really good safety rating and she wants to make sure she can fit dogs, kids, suitcases, bikes on the roof in the car. The salesman that bangs on about how amazing this metallic paint is and how long it's going to last or on how quickly it goes from naught to a hundred is telling her 
what he thinks is important. And on the podcast, you've heard me before talk about the golden rule. The golden rule of communication is treat people as you would like to be treated. But that's rubbish. That's not how you sell. The platinum rule, and this comes from teachings of the Referral Institute, which is a sister organization of BNI International, Business Network International. And the concept of treating people or selling to people in a way that you'd like to be sold to or treated is just an error. The platinum rule is treat people how they want to be treated. So in this instance, explaining to the wife how the back seats pop up out of the boot so that you can have the extra two kids and it's a seven person people carrier, showing how the bike rack fits on the roof of the car and can take four bikes, showing that you can lock the dogs in the boot securely while you drive them to the woods. Now all of a sudden she's interested because you're you're talking her language. You're talking about the benefits that are important to her. So the first word is what. Um, What was it about my leaflet that made you call me? Straight away they're going to say, well, it's because you can buy the property really quickly. It says 28 days I need to sell in the next four weeks. Now you're not going to talk about anonymity. The fact they don't have to use an estate agent. The fact they don't need a board outside their, their house. You're going to talk about speed of sale because they've told you that's what's important to them. Second word, which. Which of the two offers to buy your house appeals most? The one where I buy it really quickly at a discount or the one where I pay above market value over the next few years? Which of those two suits you best? What a powerful question. Now they're telling you what to talk about. They're telling you which solution they prefer. World-class questions. Which one suits you best is a great question that comes straight from the Elite Closing Academy. Third word, where. Where will you choose to live when you're financially free? Where will you choose to live once I've bought your house and you're freed of your mortgage? Where will you spend your time when you've got this extra disposable income? Where did you hear about us? All of these are questions that get get your prospect speaking. Fourth word, who. Who do you know who could join with you in order to raise this deposit to invest in this property? What about a tenant that's in arrears? Who do you know that can help you out with your rent this month? Or a tenant who you want to take the property but who's failed the credit check? Who do you know who can act as a guarantor? As opposed to, do you have a guarantor? Would it be possible for you to get a guarantor? No. Who do you know opens up the possibilities? Fifth word, when. When would you like to get started? When would be a great time for us to have a coffee and to go through how investing with EPP works? When would you like to have 10 properties paying you a passive income of £5,000 a month in your portfolio? When would you like to be financially free and only go to work when you feel like it when would you like me to pop round to sign the paperwork so that we can get your investing going powerful questions number six how how will you feel when you're earning a passive income of 10 grand a month final question number seven why why do you say that what makes you say that 
Why does that option appeal to you most? Just out of interest, why have you not sold through an estate agent? Why have you not gone to an auctioneer to sell your property? Why have you not invested those funds on the stock market? Why have you not purchased investment properties previously? What's held you back? You can see I'm using combinations. I'm using why and what. So let me recap the three words you don't want to use. Would, do and could. The seven words you do want to use. And you can see what I've done here. I've made it 10, right? 10 out of 10. So seven words you do want to use. What, which, where, who, when, how and why. Why, how, when, who, where, which and what. Those are your seven words, guys. And if you can use those then you're rocking and rolling. I've got a few examples, right? You know, sometimes the universe just seems to conspire to um, highlight something and make it painfully obvious to you. Well, this is what has happened to me this week. This week, there just seems to have been a massive focus on sales. So I want to tell you a few things that happened. Firstly, I went to a martial arts expo with Gordon Birch and my business partner in my martial arts franchise and we were speaking to martial artists some of whom had their own schools uh, lots of whom were black belts and we were explaining stroke selling the opportunity of a g-force martial arts school uh, basically if someone's got a black belt then they can become a martial arts uh, g-force martial arts instructor and have their own franchise so we're explaining this to people and Gordon has done tons of sales training and I think is actually excellent, exceptional at asking world-class questions. And I chatted to a guy, he'd been um, doing, um, he actually had his own property. So he had his own commercial property and he'd been running judo classes in this property for, for a few years. And he'd done it basically on a voluntary basis as him and a, a couple of others and they made money from owning the property they did that f you know from an investment perspective but the judo class they just ran it a couple times a week and they did it for the love of judo and what he said was actually I think the guy was a financial advisor but I might be wrong on that he said actually what I want to do is I want to start another martial arts class because they've got a full-time facility this building was available seven days a week 24 hours a week other than for these two judo classes and a couple of other clubs that came in and rented it by the hour and this guy said what I'd like to do is I'd like to run a separate class I want to keep the judo class non-profit making but I'd like to run a separate class maybe two three nights a week that makes a profit for me and that will help me to quit my day job earlier and so I was chatting for a bit for, to him for a bit and obviously I had a bit of insight into property, commercial property and how that works, etc. So I was chatting to him, but I wasn't really making much progress. He certainly wasn't coming on board anytime soon. And Gordon had been hovering and he was chatting to someone else and that person moved on and he joined the conversation. He said, can I ask you a question? And I, the guy said, yeah, yeah, sure. He said, how will you feel when you've got this second class going three times a week and that has enabled you to retire from your day job and you could physically see the guy react there was a physical reaction in his face he almost took a step back mentally he did but it was like 
Oh, it wasn't the superficial questions that you generally get in that environment. And I just, I like caught my breath. I was like, that is such a good question. And the girl's like, well, how will I feel? I'll be brilliant. I'll be doing what I love. I won't have that Monday morning feeling. The guy talked for about five minutes. And Gordon, I I shut up at that point because Gordon was doing way better than I was. And Gordon then asked follow-up questions and chatted to the guy. And all of a sudden, they were communicating at this deep emotional level. And Gordon was finding out what really made this guy tick. And of course, if he understands what really makes him tick and what he really wants from his life and from his potential martial arts franchise, he's far more likely to buy from us. And so I just sat there and listened and learnt and thought to myself, oh my goodness, I have so much further to go in sales. That was on Saturday, right? (laughs) Since then, I've done a training session with the EPP partners on sales. We went, we did a deep dive on sales and we did some exercises on different situations when you'd ask questions, etc. But then (laughs) I did a training session with our GeForce franchisees on how to communicate effectively with people who want to join their classes. And we did some training on what to say, what not to say, how to close the conversation. That was on Monday. So we had martial arts on Sunday at the expo. I did training with my GeForce franchisees on the Monday, training with my EPP partners on the Tuesday, going through world-class property sales questions. But then, (laughs) this is so funny, I had a seminar today, an EPP seminar today, and now it's at the forefront of my mind. Those of you that listen regularly, you'll know about RAS, Reticular Activating System. Now I've got my... Raz well and truly set on open-ended questions using those seven world-class openings to a question and oh boy did I have some fun some of the guys in the room who were interested in becoming EPP partners so this was our one-day seminar and I don't go to them very often actually I haven't been to one for about a year but I I went on this one to um, support uh, Amanda and Pauline are our uh, England and Wales franchise uh, master franchisees and um, and to critique and, and help them to develop as uh, as country owners. So that was my role today. And and of course, I can't help myself but get involved in some of the conversations. And one of the guys, um, a Chinese guy who'd clearly been involved in business, he clearly um, knew what he was talking about in terms of sales. He said, Frank, that is a good question. And we laughed about it. I I can't remember exactly. It was a closing question. And I said something like, he'd already said, your franchise should be more expensive. The fact that you do a four-month trial for £3,000 is such good value for money. And so you don't get better buying signals than that. And so I said, great. Sounds perfect for you, for all the reasons you've just given don't worry, you don't have to pay more than the £3,000. That's all you have to pay, even though, you, as you say, it's it's worth a lot more, which I agree with. So the question really, the only question you uh, need to decide on is, which card are you going to put the £3,000 on? And he laughed, and we had a laugh together, because that's such a cheeky, assumptive question. But listen to it, which card? Not, would you like to go ahead? That brings no into play. 
Yes, I do. No, I don't. Which card? And he actually said, oh, I've got a special card. I'd like to put it on. I'm a member of a private bank. This is um, the one that I'd like to uh, like to put it on. And we, we, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the process of me doing my best to be a proficient salesperson and him enjoying me leading him as a professional down that route to buying what he really wanted to buy and I had several conversations today and it's no coincidence that I've just spent three days Saturday Monday and Tuesday immersed in sales environments teaching sales to people and it reminded me of a couple of things actually it reminded me of Uh, years ago so 15 odd years ago I had the Thai curry company and my business partner and I imported curry from Thailand and we did the British uh, the good food show rather good food show and we had a little stand and we were cooking Thai curry and handing out samples and on day one we sold so little I I forget exactly how much uh, the guys sold but it's like a couple hundred pounds worth of um, um, curry and at the at the end of the day we sat down and um the guys the guys said you know what we don't think we can sell much more than i forget how much exactly it was like a couple hundred quid and so we wrote some questions and the next day we we tried those questions and we did i I forget how much we sold but like 500 quid then that night we wrote much better questions i actually got some sales books out and i looked at them i was like what could we ask and the question that did it and i can remember it to this day is you'd give out a sample not talk to anyone else because what people were doing were taking samples and walking off so give a sample which is the emotional bank accounts and now they're obliged to talk to you because you've just given them a gift and the question and we'd say how do you find it how do you find it how do you like it open-ended question of course they're going to say something nice mostly because you've just given it to them as a gift and whatever they say positive say fantastic I'm so glad you like it how many boxes would you like we've got one box for three pound fifty we've got two boxes for a fiver or we've got five boxes for a tenner what do you think happened our sales went through the roof the people who were going to buy anyway bought at £5 or £10 so we got more a higher value sale from them and the people that wouldn't have bought but now felt a bit obliged because it was like £10, £5 or £3.50 bought a single box for £3.50 which meant our margin went through the roof because that's expensive for one box and they bought that because they didn't want to be rude because the question was phrased in such a way that they didn't want to say I don't want to buy any now of course some people did but do you know the extent to which some people said no (laughs) barely any we sold over 1500 pounds worth of curry that last day and that wasn't because there's more people on the sun there or anything like that that was because we were asking better sales questions that one question how many boxes would you like to buy it's as simple as that really really interesting and the final thing this week as if that wasn't enough the final the, the Thai curry um story is from years ago I, I just remembered it this week because I've been reflecting on my sales technique and my journey in sales and the final one this week is I've employed a couple of Serbian salespeople, and I've been doing some training with them and I actually only had one role for sales but I employed two because I figured 
they might go on holiday at different times, which they're bound to, so one can cover the other. One might get sick, and then I've got some redundancy. Plus, we're growing our sales um, capabilities, so we're going to have more and more working sales. So having two people right now is is good because we'll have spare capacity. And finally, I figured one of them might not work out. And so if one of them leaves, I've still got one that can do the job. So employed two of them, was teaching them in world-class sales questions, how to have persuasive conversations, how to communicate effectively, the platinum rule, etc. Not bringing no into play, the, the 10 out of 10 technique of, of, of world-class words to start sales questions with. And one of them said out loud to me, I'm not a salesperson. I've never been able to sell anything. Well, with that kind of self-talk and that kind of attitude, she'll never be successful in sales. And so, unfortunately, I did give her a chance, but I said, if that's how you feel, I don't see how you're going to get any better. And she was actually not bad at all. One of the guys was absolutely phenomenal and is going to be is going to be awesome. But this girl had every she'd been um, selling for us for four days when she said that. And I get that it's hard when you start a new role and I get that she was learning this new way of communicating, etc. It's a very informal, very friendly way of of communicating. That's that's our style. And yeah, she was just telling herself that she was rubbish. She was telling herself that she wouldn't be able to sell anything. And the problem with that is it becomes self-fulfilling. And I said, unless you can commit to enjoying selling and commit to becoming excellent at it, you're already great. You just need a bit more confidence, a bit more practice. Um, I don't think you're going to enjoy this role. And who wants to be in a role that they're not enjoying? And she... um, we came to a mutual understanding that actually this probably wasn't the right role for her. And that <laughs> unbelievably all happened in one week. That actually happened. She left this morning by mutual consent. And so, um, yeah, I've had a, I've had a week that's really, really focused on sales. And, and so I thought, well, if I'm recording my podcast tonight, then, um, I really should focus on what's at the forefront of my mind by asking those world-class questions you increase rapport because they're talking and feeling listened to Um, it helps you to be more precise with what's in it for them and finally avoids bringing no into play so it increases the likelihood of a positive outcome Um, I really hope that this episode has helped you it is so important in I think every area of your life we're forever trying to get people to do stuff or give us stuff um, that perhaps they'd rather not or perhaps they would want to do in a different way. How many times do you have a conversation with someone when you want them to do something for you? And just changing that language. Um, You want an extra side of coleslaw, you want salad instead of chips or starting that conversation with can. Can I have salad instead of chips? Is bound to result in a no. But asking, how could I possibly have salad instead of chips? Opens your waiter's mind to, how can I make this happen for this person? Asking yourself, can I afford to invest in property? 
can I afford to join this world-class ethical property partners franchise? Asking yourself that, you're going to get a yes or a no. Asking your subconscious, how can I join this world-class ethical property partner franchise? I'm just putting that in over and over again, subliminally. You'll like digest that, guys, don't worry. And so asking yourself how you can afford it, how can I afford that Lamborghini? How can I become the husband that my wife deserves? How can I be the best dad in the world this weekend? When you start asking that, it opens your mind up to what's possible. It opens your mind up to the options you have. My little boy's um, started going to a forest school. As regular listeners will know, he's, he suffers from autism and ADHD and some other genetic conditions. And so he struggles in a mainstream school. And we decided that we would, two days a week, try out another school. So he's going to a forest school where uh, yesterday I asked him what he'd done for the day. And he said he'd uh, picked nettles and wild garlic and made soup out of them on a fire that they'd lit themselves and they all shared bowls of soup sounds amazing he was so proud of himself that he'd cooked in the wild um so yeah very unconventional school but it's it depends on whether he's i'm picking him up from his mum's house or from my house but it's anything from two hours driving to take him to and from school and three and a half hours driving so it's, it's a real trek for me and I'm pretty busy I love the time in the car with him we have some amazing conversations but I've been doing this for about a month maybe two months now and there's another month six weeks left before the summer summer holidays and I was chatting to my other half and I said you know what this is really hard and she asked a world-class question she said well how can he go to school without you having to do all that driving and it was, it was the first time, and I think this proves none of us are masters at this. We're just perpetual students trying to raise our game. And when she asked that question of me, I thought to myself, yeah, how? How can he get... Because I was thinking, should I keep taking him or should I stop taking him? Because it is having quite a big impact on me and I don't like driving especially. And that's a lot of hours driving, etc. And um, I thought, yeah, how? How can I not do the driving and he still goes to school? And I just came up with the idea of, oh, I could get a chauffeur. I can have a chauffeur, pick him up, take him to school and then bring him back in the evening. That would save me two, three hours, sometimes three and a half hours a day in driving. That's brilliant. That's, you know, my my time going to the gym has taken a bit of a hit my time with my other sons taking a bit of a hit my time um working and liaising with my team it's all a bit of a compromise at the moment because of all that time driving and it might sound a really simple solution and some of you listening might have thought yeah of course get a chauffeur that'd be really easy no problem at all but i hadn't thought of it because i was asking myself a poor question I was asking myself, should he go or not go? And because I know it's really important to him and I know it's really good for him, his self-confidence going through the roof, he's enjoying school more than he ever has before, etc., etc. I wasn't willing to compromise on him going to school, but I wasn't asking a quality, a high enough quality question. And as soon as that higher quality question was asked of me, I came up with a higher quality answer. 
So guys, hopefully that has inspired you to use world-class sales questions in every aspect of your life. You know you've succeeded at this. When you ask questions so regularly that your kids start asking you, Dad, when can we possibly go to the shops? Dad, which would you prefer, Indian or Chinese tonight? When you start getting questions like that from the kids, you know that you are truly using world-class questions frequently because they're picking up on how effective they are. And there are no, there's no one better in this world at sales than kids. They are amazing at getting their own way because they're masters of negotiation. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've certainly enjoyed sharing my tips and my borrowed tips from my mentors and uh, people who are far better at selling than I am with you on this episode if you have questions comments please do leave them and until next time happy investing sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment